Please take a seat. <clears throat> oh. So, today's reading uh, is taken from 2 Timothy, chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 13, and it can be found on page 1196 in the Red Bibles. Uh, and we've also got Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, uh, and page numbers for those are also on the screen. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've been in this series in 2 Timothy, and the headline we've had has been, Stand Firm. Stand Firm, and we've seen that actually standing firm takes power, power direct from God, from the Holy Spirit himself, living within us. Uh, Standing firm requires grace daily. Uh, Standing firm is hard because um, there are folk out there, Richard was explaining to us last week, who are against the truth, who want to stand against the gospel, uh, and they may even be in churches. Uh, last week's passage was saying. And so Timothy has to stand firm with love on the one hand, uh, but with truth on the other, and he has to get that balance uh, just right. And we're, we're seeing this, this appeal from Paul to Timothy, the, the older minister to the younger minister, telling him to stand firm and how to go about doing it and why it's so necessary. Uh, and one of the reasons is, uh, another reason we get today, is because of the world around us. Uh, some people call it our culture. And I don't know what you think about culture. Uh, maybe you have a picture of culture a bit like uh, a swimming pool. That is, you're in the pool, um, and it's around you everywhere you go, and you, you kind of, once you've been in it for a while, you barely notice that you're in the water anymore. But a swimming pool's nice, isn't it? Because you, you set the rules. 
You want to go over that way, you just swim over there. You want to go over there. It's quite nice and straightforward. Maybe you think of culture a little bit like that. But Paul says to Timothy today, the world around you, the culture, is much more like that. It's like a river. It has a direction. It has a tide in it, a stream, a flow in it, that's taking you in a particular way, Timothy. And you need to know that. You need to be aware of that. You need to see that uh, so that you know how you can stand firm in that culture. Not get swept up, not get swept along by the tides. Um, if you want to think more about culture, by the way, there's a book on our bookstore, Plugged In, by Dan Strange, who uh, was one of the people who taught me at college. A uh, really helpful book, uh, just starting to think through culture and how culture um, shapes us or, or, or the stories it tells. Culture shapes us in all sorts of ways. They, they do tell us stories. Uh, the things you watch on uh, Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime or, or other streaming stations are available, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, the things you're watching and the stories that are being told in the media uh, when you read the news or, or whatever it is, that's shaping your view of the world just a little bit. Or intellectuals or influencers, those YouTubers or Instagrammers that you follow, they're, te- they're telling you things all the time, trying to shape the way you think. Or maybe you're one of those people who loves TED Talks. I don't know if you've come across these TED Talks. People there trying to influence us and, and shape us in a certain direction. Um, uh, there are policies that the government passes that are, that are all caught up in, a, in an agenda and an idea. Uh, and, and then there's social media. All around us, we're being bombarded all the time by information, news stories, all sorts of things. And the thing is, it's not like a swimming pool. It's not neutral like that. It has a flow. It has a tide. Uh, Maybe you're there thinking, well, you see, actually, the culture we live in today makes it just so hard to be a Christian, doesn't it? It seems like everyone's against the gospel. It seems like they make it harder and harder for anybody to share their faith. If you're working the public uh, eye or, uh, you know, you, you read these stories in the press, don't you, about maybe nurses or someone like that who offer to pray for a patient and end up in trouble or um, uh, things like that, and you think, it's just so hard. And if I even put my opinion out there on Instagram or whatever it might be, or, or Facebook, I'll just be bombarded immediately with this, this hostile reception. It's never been so hard to be a Christian. Well, let's look at verse 1 for a moment. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. And the first time you read that, you think that might sound a bit like uh, and the end is nigh kind of statement, that there'll be these things called the last days, and when we get to that point, it's going to be awful. But that's not what Paul means. In the Bible, the last days, right? Jesus' resurrection there, that happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, Jesus' return, we don't know when that's going to happen. And the last days is all the time in between the one and the other. So between Jesus' resurrection and his return. And in the New Testament, when Paul uses the phrase, the last days, that's what he means. So yes, we are living in the last days. But so was Timothy. And just look at the culture, the world that surrounded Timothy. Just look at the, the flow, the tide. What were people like in those days? Well, we'll get on to that in just a moment. But it's not new that culture has made it feel difficult 
to be a Christian, that the world around us is trying to push us away uh, from Jesus. Actually, we're caught up in a culture and in a world which makes it hard for us to stand firm. In Timothy's day, that might have been the opponents in his church, the false teachers we thought about last time. It might have been bits of the Roman Empire where they, they persecuted Christians and came down on them. But generally for all of us, we need to be aware. We need to be savvy. We need to be wise about this. Culture is not like a swimming pool. It's not this thing where we can just go about it freely and easily. It's got a tie to it. The world around us would love to push us in a particular direction. And as we, see, we will see in a moment, that direction will not necessarily be toward Jesus. Uh, and so that's the first thing we need to see. We need to see the tide we're caught in. And, and let's look what, what people and culture are like in these last days. People will be, verse 2, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. It's quite an unhappy list, isn't it? It's not a feel-good sort of list. And Paul saying to Timothy, is that what it feels like when you're holding out the gospel? Are you getting bombarded with this kind of thing? Well, it's the last days, so of course you are, Timothy. Don't be surprised by that. Expect it. Now, the thing about this list is there is a timelessness to it. You can find these traits and characteristics if you look around. You can certainly find them today, can't you? People will be lovers of themselves. And I guess social media often brings this out with the, the selfie generation and the, the, you know, showing how my perf- perfect my life is and, and um, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, lovers of money. I guess we might never have lived in a more materialistic age where the stuff you have becomes so important. Now, there's always a kickback against that. Not everyone's like that. But if we look around, we can see people who are caught up with, concerned with mainly prosperity, welfare, what's, what's in their bank balance. Or maybe pick out that word abusive. Well, abuse seems to be in the news an awful lot at the minute, doesn't it? It's very sad, it's very tragic, Uh, it's right and proper uh, that as churches we have good uh, safeguarding policies and things like that to to prevent that from happening, Uh, and that we're clear and transparent and open in in reporting anything that comes to our attention, we we have to do that. Uh, But actually the world we live in does show, doesn't it, that this abuse is out there. It's not wrong, uh, you know, th- this list of, of characteristics, we can, if we look around, we can see them today. And Timothy could see them in his day. Or let me just pick out one more. We could, we could spend ages just trying to show how each one is in our culture. But what about unforgiving? Uh, there's a journalist, commentator, a guy called Douglas Murray, who's just written a new book. I've not read it. I don't know if it's any good. But one of the things he points out in his book is we've lost, and he calls it, interestingly, he's not a Christian, but he calls it the Christian value of forgiveness. 
We've lost it in our culture. And he points out to the cases where somebody makes a bad joke 10 years ago or something like that, or a, 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 a silly tweet uh, several years ago, and it's poured over by people, brought out of the, the, in the press, and they're, they're just hounded until they're out of a job. And the idea that somebody could just say, yeah, I'm really sorry about that. I was wrong. Uh, I, I need to be forgiven for that. It doesn't happen anymore. And he's saying that's, that's really problematic to lose that value of forgiveness because we need it. But uh, he says it's there in our world. Now, the thing about this list, okay, it's a, it's a long list. It's a, an unhelpful list, but uh, it's a... Is a, an unattractive list, should I say. But I wondered if you noticed there is a word that keeps cropping up. The word love. Because ultimately, behavior is driven by what you love. So people in the last days are lovers of themselves and lovers of uh, money. They're not lovers of God, in verse 4. They're without love, in verse 3, it says. They're not lovers of the good. Their love is in the wrong place. And when your love is in the wrong place, when your heart goes after the wrong things, these behaviors will follow. How we behave is governed by what we love. Now, we're made to love God. Famous quote, you'll have heard me say it before, from St. Augustine. He's praying to God. He says, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That's what we're made for. But if we turn our love away from God and turn it to something else, then we're twisted out of shape from the purpose we were designed for. And this, well, it's an ugly list, isn't it? It follows from having our love in the wrong place. It's a challenging question for each of us to take away, I think, from this passage. Uh, Where are our loves? And how would they be determining our behavior? But the point is, if you're out there in the world, in the culture around that is not following Jesus, it's full of people whose love is not set on God, that will create a tide in the world around you. And that tide will push you in the direction they want to go in, which is away from God. Not loving God. Loving other things. And Paul says to Timothy, and by the Holy Spirit says to us, mark this. Be aware. See that it is something that is real and true out there. Don't be naive. You live in that kind of a world. And maybe verse 5 is a bit of a surprise. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Just a hint, perhaps, that you might even find this in religious circles. You might even find it in church circles. People who have a form of godliness on the outside. They show the marks and the signs of Christian religion, perhaps. But because the love on the inside has been directed into the wrong place, actually, if you look closely enough, you'll you'll see some of these traits, this pride, uh, this 
disobedience, this ingratitude, this lack of forgiveness. A challenge for us all, I think, as a community here. Are we marked by a forgiving, humble, grateful spirit? And if not, maybe we've been a bit more caught up in this cultural stream than we'd like to admit. And maybe this passage comes as a nice, uh, important warning for us at this time. In verses 6 and 7, we we get a hint that Paul is again referring to the false teachers we heard about last time. Uh, That these people who present themselves as having a form of godliness. Look look what they do. They, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control uh, over gullible women, Paul says. Uh, in that society, you have to remember, women very often wouldn't be uh, educated. Um, in other bits of the Bible, it talks about those false teachers who devour widows. Uh, often, these are the weakest and most vulnerable members of that society. And it's them in particular that false teachers and false religion will go after. Who are loaded down with sins, that's the false teachers, the ones who are worming their way into their houses. And they're swayed by all kinds of evil desires. And again, that that model of those who are involved in false teaching and false religion, preying on the weak and vulnerable, you can see it. You see it uh, abused appallingly in things like prosperity gospel teaching and televangelism, where the weakest in society are preyed upon because we're in the last days. And so was Timothy. We're in that gap between Jesus' resurrection and his return when when these falsehoods will be put right, praise God. But right now we're living in this tide and it's not always taking us, in fact not often taking us, in a good direction. Verse 7 is is really interesting, isn't it? Because what marks false teaching? What marks this uh, attitude of the last days, which is this cultural tide that's taking us away from God? Always learning, but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Could have been written yesterday, couldn't it? That desire for knowledge, that thirst for going out there. But you'll, you'll never say you've found the truth because then you have to stop searching. And of course, if that's your attitude, that that you don't know about truth and you're not sure there is a truth and you just want to keep searching, then you can change the rules. Uh, My old vicar, uh, when I was a student, uh, said to to us, before he became a Christian, he never lost an argument. Never lost an argument before he became a Christian. He says, it's easy to win arguments if you're not a Christian. You can just keep moving the goalposts when you're debating your Christian friends. You're not committed to any truth, so you can just change where you're playing the game until you win. Well, that kind of attitude that there is no truth, no fixed truth that we have to stand for, eventually, if you take that attitude, it'll just get you swept up in this tide of culture. You'll go wherever the rest of culture goes. Paul then uses an illustration from the Old Testament. Don't, don't mind if you don't know who Janus and Jambres are right at the moment. You can go and look them up later. But, but the point is they oppose Moses. They oppose the one who brings God's word to them, the man God commissions. And Paul says, false teachers will oppose the truth. When God's word is brought to them, they'll say, is that really true? 
I'm not sure. Maybe that's not the whole picture. I think maybe we need to think about this and this and this as well. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far, as in the case of those men. Their folly will be clear to everyone. Paul says, sooner or later, this attitude of these false teachers will unravel. Uh, So I hope you see the two halves of this this first point, of looking at where the culture is sweeping us along. Uh, First of all, there's that general point in verses 1 to 5 of of what the culture's like and the behavior it it tends to develop because people's love is in the wrong place. Uh, And then he moves on to the false teachers who profit in that culture, who are abusive to the weak and vulnerable, who do have an agenda to promote themselves and to oppose God. But don't be naive, says Paul. In the last days, it will be difficult. Timothy, you're in the last days. Holy Trinity Platt, you're in the last days. Don't be naive. See the tide you are caught in. And so the question is, to go with the flow or not? Verse 10, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So just focus in for a moment on verses 12 and 13. And there are two options. There's living the godly life in Christ Jesus in verse 12, or there's living the life of an evildoer, an imposter in verse 13. Two options that Paul gives. And let's just return to that image of a stream. The point is, if verses 1 to 9 are true, and there's this cultural stream that's headed in one direction, away from love for God, away from love for the truth and the good... Uh, that embraces these kind of false teachers who have their own agenda and pray on the wicked. If, if that's the way culture's headed, then living a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to be to swim against the tide. It's going to be to swim upstream. I don't know if anyone's ever tried swimming upstream when you're caught in a, a fairly fierce river like that. It is not easy. I've never done it. But I know I couldn't, because <laughs> I find it hard enough to swim in a swimming pool. Um, it's hard work, swimming against a tide like that. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, says Paul. It will not be easy. Is your Christian life hard? Do you find it hard at, at work or at uni or, or with your friends and neighbours to, to stand up for Jesus, to stand firm, take courage? That's what it's going to be like in the last days. I suppose the flip side for all of us is, is our Christian life quite easy? <laughs> then maybe we need to ask ourselves whether we're really desiring to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus. If we are, Paul says will be persecuted in verse 12. It will be hard. Expect it. 
It doesn't sound very uh, appealing, does it? Why on earth would I want to do that? Why on earth would anybody choose to swim upstream in a river? Much easier to go the other way, isn't it? To go with the culture, to go with the tide. That would be much more straightforward. But, but what about if at the end of the river is a cliff edge? What about if that's the end of the river? Look at verse 13 again. Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul is describing a spiral there that happens to everybody who continually turns away and rejects God. We were made for God. To turn away from him is to twist ourselves out of shape. And that has the effect of all these horrible vices at the beginning of the passage, but but it, it corrupts us more and more and more to the point where not only have we turned our backs on the truth, we're, we're now deceptive. And we engage in a culture of deception. Did you see that? They go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And, and sooner or later, you don't even know what the truth is. It's a spiral that ends in judgment, according to the Bible. Well, two options. <laughs> the hard work of swimming against the tide, or the disastrous consequence of going with the flow. It doesn't sound very nice, does it? doesn't sound very positive. But there is hope in these verses. And they come in the two that we've skipped over. Verse 10 and 11. Because you see, Paul's writing to Timothy, telling him, stand firm against the tide, keep going. And he gives Timothy his own example. Because you see, Paul managed it hard as it was. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. Okay? So Paul did the good work, the hard fight of keeping going and standing firm. That's what that verse is saying. You know that I kept going when it was against the stream, against the tide. And verse 11, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch? It wasn't easy, says Paul. The persecutions I endured, I had to stand against that tide. But Timothy, remember, I did. So it is possible to stand against the tide. But but how you think is exhausting. The end of verse 11, as he recounts all his sufferings and his hardships. The Lord rescued me from all of them. I hope you've noted as we've gone through the letter, there's lots of things about being strong, standing firm, don't be ashamed. But with that, as we've gone through the letter... Paul reminds Timothy of the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because Christianity isn't just press on, clinch your fists real tight, grit your teeth and go for it, hard as it's going to be. It will be hard. But Christianity says we have a God who is a deliverer. A God who is a rescuer. A God who sees his people 
He loves them and cares for them. And the way to stand firm is not to do it in your own strength, but to do it in the grace of the gospel. It's there as we trust Jesus, as we remember that we're in the last days, which means he has been raised from the dead. So we know there is life beyond the grave. We know there is a future hope of heaven. And we know he's coming back. We live in the, between those two times. It's us who live in between those two times who can say the Lord will rescue. The Lord has rescued through his death on the cross where our sins have been paid for. All those ways in which we didn't love God as he deserved, and yet Jesus takes the punishment for that, and then rises and gives us his Holy Spirit to change and fight against the tides. But in the last days, we also look forward and remember that Jesus is coming back. And he will rescue his people. He will deliver them. Take them out of that stream and set them in his new creation. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of that gospel truth, of that grace of God that comes to us, because it's only there that we gain the perspective and the power to stand firm in the stream. If we think it's just all up to us, well, we might do it for a bit, but we'll get exhausted eventually and just get swept up. But if we look back to the cross and the resurrection and forward to Jesus' return and we remember his grace, how he's delivered us from past sins and will deliver us to future glory, we will say with Paul, the Lord has rescued me from all trouble, from all persecution. And so I I suppose I want to say this to us. Never tire of hearing the gospel. Uh, There's a thing that happens sometimes to Christians. If you've been a Christian for a little while, you think, oh yeah, the Jesus bit now. Oh yeah, this is where they explain the cross again. Never tire of that. Uh, When you hear that, don't go, oh yeah, that bit now. Say, now I need to tune in definitely and focus. Because now, I'm going to be reminded of the truth, of the love of God, of his grace, that is not just truth for my head, it is, it is a joy to my heart and it is the power that will energize me to live the Christian life and stand firm for him. And I need that power because when I go into the world, there is a tide that's streaming against me. Never tire of hearing the gospel. So, see the tide we're caught in. Understand there's a choice to go with the flow or not. And remember where you find rescue. In the Lord Jesus and the gospel of his grace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. That what Paul writes for himself there, the Lord rescued me from all my troubles. Is true for all who put their trust in you. Just as it's true, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's also true that all who trust in you can find rescue. Help us to be wise and clear-sighted about the fact that the world around us 
would love to push us away from Jesus in lots of ways. Help us to be discerning about teachers and those who are not able to come to a knowledge of the truth, perhaps, or want to turn us away from the truth. Help us think about who is influencing us and be mindful of the battle, the spiritual battle that happens day by day. But in the midst of all that, Father, we pray we wouldn't rely on our own strength or our own cleverness or our own wisdom, but we would keep turning our eyes back to Jesus. Because there is where we find the strength and the power and the grace to live each day. It's where Paul encouraged Timothy to look. It's where he encourages us to look. And we pray it is where we will be looking. For Jesus' sake. Amen.